Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we talk with Executive Director of the Gospel Coalition Canada, Wyatt Graham. With Canada Day a couple weeks behind us, we wanted to catch a glimpse of what faith looks like in Canada today, as well as some of the challenges the church is faced with. Well, I think people today, in maybe the age category of under 40, go to church for a reason. Where I think if you were in that older category, when you were younger, you went to church because that's what everyone did. But the under 40 generation, maybe they don't grow up in a church culture, so they're only going to go for a reason. So if you're offering a church service without any truth, without any kind of authority, without any conviction, why go to the church? Hey, welcome again to In Doubt. I'm Isaac, your host. Looking forward to this conversation with Wyatt Graham. And as I just said, he's the executive director of the Gospel Coalition in Canada. You know, there were some studies done in the past year that really help us catch an idea of what faith is like currently in our nation. Uh, Wyatt has taken the time to go through these and posted his findings in an article he published a month or so ago uh, on the Gospel Coalition website. So I asked Wyatt this week about those findings and we simply interact about faith in Canada and how the church can best respond. So here's a conversation with Wyatt Graham. With me today is Wyatt Graham. Wyatt serves as the executive director of the Gospel Coalition Canada and he also blogs regularly at wyattgraham.com. It's great to have you with us today, Wyatt. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, definitely. Um, so firstly, uh, who are you? I mean, we've talked on the phone. <laughs> we've we've also met when you were over here uh, in, in the West Coast, uh, and we met at a, a little Gospel Coalition conference. It was a lot of fun. But anyways, for those who don't know you, uh, who are you, and maybe how did you come to faith? Okay, so at the highest level, I'm Canadian. I <laughs> was born in British Columbia, so I'm born in the same province that you're in. Nice. I've also lived in Alberta, um, grew up kind of in, the, in Western Canada, traveled or did ed- education down south, and now I'm back in Canada, but in Ontario. Then the smaller story about how I became a Christian, how I found faith, that one's a bit odd because I, I, there's really two events in my life that maybe kind of drew me close to the Lord or could have been conversion events. The first was in British Columbia, actually. So I was, whatever, three, four, five, six. And I just remember praying with my brother and asking for the Lord to to forgive me or something to that effect. Right. And the second event would be about 16, 17. Couldn't sleep one night. And I went to a cooler room in the house and found a Bible. I opened it up and read it. And something changed the next day. And I just, you know had a huge desire to know what the Bible said, and eventually I consistently followed the Lord. So, I'm not really sure which of those two events was my conversion, or maybe it was the first one, and then the second part was really just the Lord drawing me to a closer relationship to Him. Yeah. It's hard to know. Yeah, that's so good. And and for those who don't know, what what's the Gospel Coalition Canada, uh, and, and what role do you sort of play there, and then what purpose does the actual organization play in Canada? Well, the Gospel Coalition simply wants to renew the contemporary church in the ancient gospel. So it's a movement of people, churches, uh, that recognizes that we face uh, challenges in the world, and in Canada in particularly, we face false teaching, lack of resources, lack of unity, and I'm sure various other challenges. So uh, the Gospel Coalition Canada is asking Christians in Canada to join together for the sake of the gospel, to renew the gospel in our lives and churches, and to meet these challenges head-on by 
looking back to the ancient gospel of Jesus Christ and its implications for life. So that's in sum, and I'm the uh, executive director of the Gospel Coalition Canada and have been for just under two years. We're actually pretty new in Canada, have really been here for, yeah, really just about two years in our nation. So right. that's the, the basic summary. Yeah, no, that's so good. Thank you for that. Um, you know, it, it's been a couple of weeks now since Canada Day. Uh, and you, Watt, you've recently spent some time digesting a few studies on faith in Canada. So I'd really just love uh, to hear from you uh, and to take some time for you to explain what some of those findings are, uh, because, you know, many people just don't know, and then how you and the church at whole can respond to those things. So yeah, some findings and then some responses. I'd love for you just to kind of share some of that. Yeah, I, I had spent some time looking at different statistics about religion in Canada. And, you know, one of the things interesting in Canada is that we don't have the same kind of polling or statistical studies that the United States has. So it makes it a bit more difficult. But I did find uh, about three or two organizations in one study that did some really uh, good work. There were the uh, Angus Reid Institute, um, Statistics Canada, and there was actually a, a recent academic study done in Southern Ontario, which studied various churches that were both growing and shrinking and basically gave them questions. And I think we can you know, find some really interesting data in there and things that can encourage us as Canadians and especially as conservative uh, evangelical Canadians, or at least those Canadians who love the Lord, love the gospel, and follow the Bible. You know, one of the things that was really interesting in the Southern Ontario study was that for many of the churches that were not growing and, in fact, were shrinking, uh, it was true that they didn't hold fast to the gospel, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and really conservative theology. Whereas the churches that were growing in the same region, more often, uh, believed in like the bodily resurrection of the Lord, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and basically conservative, uh, traditional Christianity. And that's an interesting trend because I think a lot of times uh, we hear that in order to reach a new audience, to, to bring in people to the church, we have to figure new strategies or, or new ways of bringing people in. But actually this study, while it doesn't say that you shouldn't use strategy, it says that if you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and uphold the truth of the gospel, that that's one factor in your church's growth. And I think that is actually really encouraging for us in Canada where maybe we sometimes feel a bit marginalized as conservative Christians. We don't feel like we're, <laughs> we're growing the way that we ought to. And we see some of these legal cases in the news and, you know, kind of cower under that and feel like, okay, there's this doom and gloom happening. But actually, if you look across Canada, conservative churches are growing, those who hold fast to the gospel. It's a very encouraging trend. It is. And, and I remember too, why, if I can jump in here, I remember a CBC article, I think it was CBC, it might have been Global, uh, in maybe a year or two ago, and it just kind of stated plainly that churches that took on a more liberal understanding of even its understanding of the Bible, um, and if they believed if it was infallible or inerrant, ones that had a more liberal approach, they were shrinking. Uh, and those that, like you just said, the conservative churches that had a more explicit understanding and inerrant view of the Bible were were growing. And I think, and I mean, m maybe you'd have some thoughts here too, but I think one of the reasons why churches that maybe don't preach the explicit gospel, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, the gospel correctly, or the inerrancy of the Bible, it, I mean, if someone goes to a church that doesn't really have a stance on those things, then 
I mean, maybe the Rotary Club or going, you know, to the swimming club, that might be just as good fellowship than going to the church that doesn't really have a stance on any of those things. So um, it kind of makes sense to me why they would be shrinking. Well, I think people today in, in, in maybe the age category of under 40 go to church for a reason, where I think if you were in that older category, when you were younger, you went to church because that's what everyone did. But the, but the younger, well, the under 40 generation, maybe they don't grow up in a church culture. So they're only going to go for a reason. So if you're offering a church service without any truth, without any kind of authority, without any conviction, well, why not just go to the movie theater? Why not just find a different group? Why not just find, you know, a, a group of young mothers at the library to get along with? Why go to the church? And I think that we have something unique because we're offering... Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, something that transcends the world, something that's true everywhere, and something that we're to preach with conviction. And I think many people, God's people, are attracted to that. So I think I think that's something we can take courage in, despite some of the difficulties and challenges that we face uh, in our country. Yeah, and I would even say, just to end this this one point before we go to the next, that you know the the. When you when when a pastor preaches the gospel or a whole church that's under that kind of teaching goes out in their communities and they believe in this bold gospel, it's radical, and a lot of young adults are attracted to what's what's radical and kind of out there. And the gospel is out there because it's totally anti you know postmodern post truth culture that we're in. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you see, which is interesting, I don't know if if this is something you've run into, but a lot of younger people, and by younger, I mean under 40, so I don't mean like right. 15 year olds, <laughs> um, younger Canadians are, are looking for something and they're they're actually going down the Canterbury Trail to the Anglican Church. They're going to Rome and they're going to Eastern Orthodoxy. So why? Well, I think some people are going to those churches because they see it's rooted in something beyond the present. I mean, our lives are so transient, um, unstable. You know, you have a job for three years, a job for three years, you're in one apartment, in another apartment. I think people are looking for something stable. That's good, yeah. And I think, kind of going back to the same point, when we, we have something that's <laughs> the most stable and unchanging truth and community uh, in the world, something that started at creation and has continued, or started as the church 2,000 years ago, and we can offer a, an ancient gospel that can meet the needs of the contemporary church today that will because God is true and God is real and that faith is ancient and we're rooted in something beyond ourselves. So, yeah, we might move from one apartment to another or one job to another, but the gospel and God never changes. He is always who he is. And I think that is attractive to people. They want stability and they want something beyond this transient world in which we live. How do you think then, if that's the reality where a lot of people under 40, the younger kind of uh, Canadians, if they're kind of attracted to that, uh, you know, Eastern Orthodoxy, Catholicism, things like that, I, I feel like it's because there are physical things they see that are old, like they're in old buildings, they still wear their old garb, uh, you, you know, they say the, they chant these old chants, uh, you know, and then the evangelical church, it might just look like, you know, just the world in its physical look. So how can we sort of say that this is an old established faith rather than, you know, getting in old buildings? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, I think what you said is exactly right. People are drawn to the liturgy, some of the, some of the, what appears old, what appears to be an ancient practice. And, and now just a quick note before I answer your question directly. There are about 550,000 Orthodox Christians in Canada. 
and there are 630,000 Baptists. So if you're a Baptist, and that's the only world you know, there's nearly as many Orthodox Christians in this country as there are Baptists. Just as a note here. Now, um, now of course, there's many more evangelical or Protestant Christians if you count, you know, the different groups. Sure. But, um, okay, so yeah, the question is, how do you, okay, as evangelicals, we don't tend to have some of those um, ancient liturgical traditions. So, in what way can we show that the, that the evangelical, the Protestant evangelical church is ancient? Well, I think you have to go back to the Reformation. And one of the things that was important to the Reformers is that the, the true church is born on the word and spirit. Hmm. So, the Word of God found in Scripture that points and testifies to Jesus Christ is ancient. It's 2,000 years old. And the practices prescribed in that Bible, namely communion, baptism, preaching of the gospel, evangelism, discipleship, and, and the various kind of practices surrounding that, that's actually ancient. And that's everywhere in the world. It's not just something that kind of sprung up in North America 200 years ago. Right. But sometimes I have to say that, you know, it's interesting. We look at our churches, we sometimes sing hymns that are from like 1880 to 1980. And it seems like our tradition's only within that like 100 year period. But that's not true. We have, you know, 2,000 years of, of hymns and history that we're actually a part of too, because we're all born from the same spirit on the basis of scripture, worshiping the same God in Christ Jesus. So I think we have a lot to offer. Uh, through the word and spirit. That's so good. Um, when it comes to evangelism, I found one of the points uh, from an article you wrote, which I'll put the link up for our listeners to find. Uh, but yeah, I'd love for you to share that statistic about the religiously committed people in Canada, how they view evangelism. I thought that was very interesting. So only 29% of religiously committed people in Canada view evangelism positively. So these would be the insiders. And only 8% of all Canadians view evangelism positively. So less than, you know, on average, less than one person out of 10 will see evangelism as a good thing. Right. And I think that's largely, or it could be connected to uh, the idea that religion is something that shouldn't be public, but should merely be private. Mm. So I think you see this with that, with the Trinity Western case recently, where a law school was told, or sorry, something that could have been a law school uh, was told that, look, you actually can't run your law school if you require people to live by your religious code when it comes to marriage. That's something that you can't have in a public, publicly accessible institution. Yeah. Essentially, religion has been pushed really into the private sphere. And I believe it was, um, was it Pierre Trudeau who said something to the effect of, we don't care what you do in your, in your house or bedroom. <laughs> like that's, that's for you. Right. But that's kind of where re religion has been pushed. Mm. So I think evangelism, this idea of going out and, and convincing, persuading people to join your creed, your gospel, is viewed as something that just doesn't make sense. It's actually, it goes against our inclusive culture. Because you're telling, well, for Christians anyways, we're telling them, look, all these options out there uh, are wrong, <laughs> except for this one option, yeah. which is that you must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. I think that that's perhaps part of the reason that these statistics are, are this way. Well, I think that creates some challenges for us as Canadians and as, as evangelicals, those who are committed to, to the authority of Scripture and committed to conversionism, because we have a cultural challenge, not just a gospel offense challenge. So, of course, the gospel could offend people because it's saying that, well, you, you must repent. But if the actual activity of speaking to someone about religion is already offensive, well, that adds double the challenge. Absolutely. 
So I think we need to we need to think uh, creatively about how we can engage in conversations and only offend people with the gospel and not offend people with um, the mode by which we get to the gospel. Yeah, that's so good. Um, you know, and just for those listening, there are multiple other stats that White points out. And again, I'll, I'm going to put that uh, article on our episode podcast page so you can find it and look through it. And he's also uh, quoted the studies as well, linked the studies there uh, so you can find that. But anyways, White, as many are listening to you explain um, some of these, you know, truths of faith in Canada, these stats that we found, what would you say are a few things we can individually do um, to help really bring the gospel to this nation? This is a huge question, but what, what does it kind of look like in, uh, you know, perspective of what we've just been talking about? Yeah, I think the answer is it could be slightly counterintuitive. I, mean, I think you look at the Great Commission and Jesus tells us to make disciples of all nations, but he, te- he tells us to teach uh, these nations everything that he has taught the disciples. So actually, I think it starts in the church first. Hmm. I think uh, in our local church settings, or in our church fellowships, whatever that looks like, we we do a number of things. One, we find someone in our church and start discipling them and teach them everything that Jesus taught us in Scripture. That's good. I think, too, you start talking to people at work, become their friends, and find opportunities to share your faith. That's part of what it means to create disciples as well. You create new disciples, not just already existing disciples. I think you can ask your pastor, your elders, your church leaders, if they would start a class teaching the Bible and theology, because I think it starts there. Your knowledge of God um, flows into you, and your love for God flows into you and then out to the world. And I think lastly, I th- I would suggest being part of something bigger than yourself. It's really easy to see only five feet in front of us. But actually, Jesus in John 17 prayed for the church's unity. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 wanted the church in Macedon and Corinth and Jerusalem to be united uh, and to share in the spiritual benefits and material benefits. Yeah. He actually had a strong vision for local churches working together to be united because we're all part of one body in Christ Jesus. And I think that's one of the things that you see uh, in history and even now, that when you work together with others, you actually grow together. And when you stay by yourself, sometimes you shrink by yourself. Actually, one great example of this is that GAFCON, the um, uh, Global Anglican Future conference, something to that effect. I <laughs> uh, just met in Jerusalem and it was looked like a wonderful meeting and it was uh, about renewal and gospel centeredness. And they actually called out uh, the Episcopal Church in the U.S. and the, the provinces that kind of follow uh, their teachings, for example, that are false mm. on, um, on gay marriage. And it looks like they're able, they were able to stick it out in the tough times, this international Anglican community and are able to work together today to renew that uh, something like 80 million people across the world. Wow. To renew them both uh, internally, but also in the gospel and to get back on mission. So that to me, that's a very encouraging sign. And we'll see, and maybe we ought to be praying for that international community of, of Christians to see if they can have success in the, in the coming years. That's so good. And I, I just, I love just to go back to that very first point you made, how it starts in the church, I just think that was really good because often we think of, you know, uh, creating a gospel impact in your nation and think about evangelism. You'd immediately think outside the church, uh, but you're like, no, 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 it starts inside the church because there are multiple people that are just ill-equipped in the church and they need to be equipped. So I think that's, and that's really good. Um, what are a few questions why you'd suggest we ask ourselves pertaining to how healthy our local church 
is. I don't, I don't know if we do this often enough, and I think it's really important. So yeah, what questions can we ask ourselves to discern if our local church is going uh, in the right direction to make this great gospel impact? I think there's really two questions, and they're related. First, does the church proclaim the gospel? And the second is, does the church love each other to the extent that the world can see that love and know that God is there? So in other words, does the church confess orthodox beliefs and back up that confession by love? That's a healthy church. Love God and neighbor as yourself. Do you believe truly? And can you back it up by genuine love? And can people see that and be like, I want what they have? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting when, when Jesus, really quickly, when Jesus uh, talks to Samaritan woman, he mentions, you know, that we should be worshiping in spirit and truth. And I mean, there's lots of different ideas on what the, that means, but I'm thinking like, okay, if spirit is evidenced by a boldness, a courage, a fervency, and then truth is evidenced by understanding doctrine in, in, in your kind of in your head uh, and biblical theology and so on. When you look around, Wyatt, at your local church and the churches across Canada that you are acquainted with, are, are you seeing a good balance of that? People worshiping in spirit and truth, obviously not just singing, but in their all their life? Or are you seeing one lacking? Or uh, I'm just interested in that. Well, I think I'm encouraged by people's um, confession of the gospel and pursuit of God. I think there's always room to improve. I mean, in this study, the studies that I looked at, one of the interesting things was that only 9% uh, of, I think, religiously committed people found an intellectual pursuit as a primarily important thing. Now, of course, if you're a Christian, you, you don't have to, you know, be an academic or something like that. But at the same time, Jesus says in John 17, that this is eternal life, that you may know God and his son, Jesus Christ. Mm. So to know God at least require some intellectual pursuit. It doesn't mean that you're an academic, but it means that you're thinking and trying to know him in an intimate way. So I do think that's an area in which uh, we probably as evangelicals can improve upon, where we can think more carefully about who God is and what that means for life. But I, I, overall, I am encouraged about the direction that churches are going in, in terms of their love for the gospel and love for each other. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And also just to, you know, put a plug in here for the Gospel Coalition Canada, I would say to those listening that, it you know, this site, Gospel Coalition Canada, which is ca.thegospelcoalition.org, uh, provides articles and other resources uh, that can definitely help you in that kind of, you know, quote unquote, intellectual pursuit to really help your, your faith. So I would just suggest that you do go to the Gospel Coalition site because, yeah, there's tons and a wealth of resources on there for you to start uh, gaining information that way. Last question, Wyatt, what's your hope for the church in Canada? Yeah, I think it's hopefully should be obvious at this point, but it's <laughs> that we would work together for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would all know God, love each other, and from that excess, show people the love of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then instead of maybe doing it on our own, that we'd link up in arms with other churches and our communities and find ways to reach our community, reach our neighbors with the gospel. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you so much, Wyatt. If you're interested in more, if you're listening, check out TGC Canada's website at ca.thegospelcoalition.org. Uh, there are plenty of resources there. Also remember to check out wyattgraham.com where Wyatt regularly blogs. You can also follow Wyatt on Twitter at uh, wagraham. That's his handle. Um, and I'll also post a link, like I said already, specifically to the article Wyatt wrote about uh, what we just talked about with the, uh, you know, the links to the different reports he was referring to as well. So you can look at those. And some of them are very extensive. Uh, as Wyatt pointed out, the uh, Angus Reid poll is quite extensive. It's awesome. Anyways, thank you again so much, Wyatt. Thank you for having me. That was Wyatt Graham, the executive director for the Gospel Coalition Canada. 
Again, the article that has the findings listed uh, that Wyatt and I were talking about will be on the episode podcast page and you can find it there. Now, we'd love to know your thoughts on faith in this nation, Canada. Uh, perhaps there was something said between Wyatt and I that you, you know, you want to further address or you have like a testimony or story about it. Or maybe you disagree with something that we said and that's okay. You know, we encourage uh, discussion and conversation. It's part of our uh, mission statement, right? We exist, in doubt exists, to bring the gospel to the many relevant issues of life and faith uh, that we face every single day to cultivate conversation. So we want to do that. You know, when we think about the power of conversations, uh, we can think about Nicodemus. And, you know, Nicodemus in John 3, he didn't want to be seen asking questions to Jesus. And that's why we read he went in the dark. But something inside of him knew that Jesus was the right one to ask. And I think for many of us today, questions, you know, they burn inside of us. We ache for answers. You know, we have questions about sexuality, about true faith, about worldviews, about creativity, alcohol, dating, and just the list seems to go on, right? And like Nicodemus, we might be afraid to ask those questions out loud in public or uh, we just can't seem to find, you know, good conversations happening around those topics and those issues. But here's the truth. Conversations change lives. You know, there's an obvious change in Nicodemus's life and beliefs from John 3 to John 19. You know, John 3, we have him going to Jesus, asking these questions. He's confused. He doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. And then we get read to, you know, we read John 19 and now we see him helping, you know, bury the body of Jesus in honor of him. So just for all those listening and who are kind of unfamiliar with In Doubt, let me just say this. At In Doubt, we're continuing to provide gospel conversations so that lives are changed. And I'm excited about the strong mission and vision of Endowed uh, and the growth that it's experiencing. But anyways, we encourage discussion and conversation. And the best way for you to begin that conversation is by simply responding in the comments section underneath the post of this conversation that you're listening to right now on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And we can guarantee, we'll promise that we'll respond to your response and we can have a conversation. We also want to hear from you in relation to new guests and new topics. Maybe you've been listening to re or reading, you know, from a certain Christian pastor, a leader, an author, and you just think they'd be a great fit for the show. Let us know. And if there's at any time a topic, no matter the, the weightiness, the importance of it, or seemingly silliness of it, we want to hear about it and, you know, possibly hold a conversation on that very topic or subject. So whatever the case may be, you can always direct message us on any of the social networks I've mentioned, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always email us at hello at indoubt.com. Now, if Indoubt is a charity that you'd be interested in financially donating to, uh, we'd be so appreciative. You know, we rely on God's provision uh, through the many donations of generous people all over this nation. As you know, everything that we do, we have to, you know, obviously spend money on, but yet we give it out for free. So when people financially support In Doubt, they're supporting the creation, the recording, the production, and publication of the In Doubt Radio podcast show for each week. Uh, they're supporting the writing, the producing, and publication of In Doubt's weekly articles and spontaneous newsfeed blogs. And they're also supporting the writing, the editing, the recording, the production, and publication of Indoubt's Bible studies for individual and group use. And one more, you're also supporting the planning, the preparing, and the execution of Indoubt's live events on critical subjects of life and faith, like sexual identity that we've already done and like recreational marijuana. So if you're interested in supporting this nonprofit, simply follow the instructions when you click donate at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. 
Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we talk with Dr. Michael Kruger on deconversion stories and progressive Christianity. We'll see you then. Indoubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.